0: Our gospel reading this morning is from John chapter 4, verses 19 through 30. This uh, comes towards the end of Jesus meeting a Samaritan woman at a well, and their conversation uh, going on there. We'll kind of pick it up midway through. But if you want to see how it starts, read the first half of the book, or chapter 4 in John. But before we read Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we thank you for your word which you have given to us. Lord, we ask that this morning you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us minds to think and understand, or that you would give us hearts that are ready to be changed. Lord, that this morning, by your word and by your spirit, we would be made even more into the people that you have created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus, your son. In his name we pray. Amen. John chapter 4, verses 19 through 30. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then, the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, uh, why do you, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Our New Testament reading is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 8 through 12. This is uh, the, the faith chapter where it goes through and tells a lot of the people from the Old Testament how they were living by faith, and what that actually meant and looked like in their lives. And this is uh, just a portion of that, Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 12. It says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as, a, as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so, from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. This is the word of the Lord. Praise Praise to God. Uh, I have never seen the movie The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Has anybody else seen that? Like everybody in here, I'm the only one. Okay, I figured. Um, So don't get frustrated as I refer to that title that then I know nothing about the movie and can't go any further with it than just the title. But I really like that title (laughs) as it relates to the passage that we're looking at this morning uh, in Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and their lives and the things that are happening with them and the way that God interacts with them in the good and in the bad and in the ugly that we see. Um, So we're going to pick up this story that we have been following along of God working with Abraham in times of Abraham's faithfulness and in times of Abraham's faithlessness and uh, see where where this goes today and also what this has to do with us today this is uh, genesis chapter 21 verses 1 through 34 it is kind of a long passage i really considered breaking it into three weeks and covering it that way but i think you'll see as we go through this it is too interconnected to make three weeks out of this so we'll, we'll take it all together i hope you don't have lunch plans here we go now, the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and, she, and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, Who could have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son, whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham, was mocking. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. Well, the matter distressed Abraham greatly, because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes, and she went off and sat down about a bowshot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation." Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants show to me in the country where you now reside as a foreigner the same kindness i have shown you abraham said i swear it then abraham complained to abimelech about a well of water that abimelech's servants had seized but abimelech said i don't know who has done this you did not tell me and i heard about it only today so abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to abimelech and the two men made a treaty abraham set apart 7 ewe lambs from the flock And Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs you have set apart by themselves? He replied, Accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. So that place was called Beersheba, because the two men swore an oath there. After the treaty that had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the eternal God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. This is a pretty straightforward story, right? We can follow along with exactly what's happening. We get it. We see who the, uh, the main characters are. We see the plot and the way that it develops. No trouble there. Uh, in fact, there are some parts of it that just really seem to make sense to us. The fact that Sarah would be excited to have a baby that makes sense that she would rejoice even laugh naming her son uh isaac as (laughs) meaning laughter will laugh that makes sense but you know actually when you start looking for the things that make sense in here you kind of run up short (laughs) because it seems like as you're reading through it oh yeah yeah i get it i get it that's That happens and that happens. But when you take a closer look, there's a whole lot of this that doesn't make sense. Did you notice any problems? Did you notice anything as we we went through here that just seemed weird or odd or out of place? I noticed a lot. I've had longer to look at it than you have, but still. So here are some of the things that I've noticed. Maybe you'll find more. Um, One of the obvious ones is that Abraham is 100 years old when he's having baby Isaac. That's odd. That's out of place. That doesn't make sense, unless we've been following the story, in which case it totally does, because this is what God has been promising to him. This is the fulfillment of a promise made many years before, and they have been waiting. And now it has finally happened. Okay, that's good. But once that does happen and everybody's happy, all, all rejoicing, it doesn't stay happy, does it? Because before Isaac was born, Sarah and Abraham had taken matters into their own hands, and she had said, Hey, why don't you sleep with my Egyptian servant, Hagar? Maybe that's where this baby's supposed to come through, this baby of the promise. And Abraham and Hagar do have a baby, but it's not the one that God had promised. Well, now that Sarah has a baby of her own, she's thinking, yeah, maybe that wasn't such a good idea. And now this older half-brother is making fun of Isaac or whatever, mocking, and Sarah's like, no, God has promised this, you know, inheritance and uh, there is great things to come and I don't want him to have any part of it. And so, she goes to Abraham and has a great plan. We'll just get rid of Hagar. Get rid of Hagar, get rid of her son. Problem solved. May see a problem with that? Doesn't that seem weird? Now that we have used up this disposable person, we'll just dispose of this person? That ought to strike us as odd. I'm afraid it doesn't as much as it should we tend to do that a lot. In fact, that is one of the uh, the themes in modern media that I just can't get over, is how people get treated as just, you know, plot points, and when we're done with that, you just get rid of them. And it's like, man, that's a, I know it's a fictional character, but still, <laughs> you're training us in how we think about people. But that seems to be how, Sarah was viewing Hagar and her son. We're done with them. Just get rid of them. Here's where it gets even weirder. You expect God at this point to step in and say, no, that's not how we do things. We're not going to do it that way. And yet, for some reason, God steps in and says to Abraham, yeah, do what Sarah says. What? What? I mean, read the rest of the story. Like, she goes into the desert. She thinks she's going to die. She thinks the boy's going to die. This is not good. She is out there in uh, terrible elements alone, really alone. And yet, God says, yeah, do that with her. And yet, he says to Abraham, even in the midst of this, i got it covered. That's why you can do this. I've got this covered. Another weird part of this whole thing. As we are reading through all of this, uh, I don't know if you notice, but... uh, Hagar's son, do you know his name? It's Ishmael. How many times did I read Ishmael as we read through this? Zero. He was referred to a lot and never says his name. Isn't that weird? I think that's weird. In fact, if you go back to the name Isaac, uh, Isaac is referenced in verses uh, 3 through 8. And his name comes up six times. By name. And then it switches and starts talking about Ishmael and never mentions his name. And he gets called, you know, her son and, you know, just he, that kind of thing. And then so many times, the boy, the boy, the boy. Sent her off with the boy. She put the boy under one of the bushes. I cannot watch the boy die. And then God heard the boy crying. I think there's some interesting uh, name wordplay going on here. I think that's one of the reasons why the <laughs> the name of Ishmael is not mentioned. I think that's supposed to catch our attention. In the same way that the name of Isaac is important to us, Isaac means laughter. <laughs> I said it's mentioned six times in here. If you want to go for seven, it's actually in here seven times. It's just one of them is translated as uh, when it says, everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. In Hebrew, that's Isaac. <laughs> so it actually shows up seven times. Interesting. Ishmael kind of shows up once too. Anybody know what Ishmael means? It means God hears. And so in verse 17... Even though in verse 16 we've just seen that Hagar is the one who's sitting there sobbing. And you can only imagine uh, being in that kind of situation and the sobbing that would produce. And yet, verse 17 says, God heard the boy crying. It's almost an Ishmael, the boy, crying. God hears. The fact that his name doesn't show up, I think, is to highlight God hearing, even in their abandonment in the wilderness. So I mentioned, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. The the start of this story seems good. And you have Sarah rejoicing at Isaac's birth. God is being faithful to his promises and to his people, and we see that in, uh, in the birth of Isaac. This is great good but then in hagar's situation we see the bad we see sarah and abraham sending them off we see uh, them in desperate conditions and it's bad so the question is who is god with those in the good situation or those in the bad situation both and we're getting ready to read about kind of an ugly situation or <laughs> look at the part where it gets kind of ugly where you have abraham and abimelech and they're like going back and forth on this whole who's well is it thing and so i don't know where you are today you might be more in a position like sarah where you feel like something you've been waiting for for a long time has finally happened and things are good <laughs> right now, someone says, how are you? And you say, good, and you actually mean it. (laughs) Things are good. Maybe that's where you are. Or maybe you feel more like Hagar today, where you feel like you thought things were fairly stable anyway, and the rug has just been pulled out from under you, and you don't know what's coming next. Or maybe... Things are kind of ugly in relationships between you and someone else, like Abraham and Abimelech, where there's disagreement and you're not sure how that's going to get resolved. This passage talks about God being with people in the good and the bad and the ugly of life as we go through all of it. It's the reason that uh, Paul tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. We're not all in the same place at the same time. But God is with us in whatever we're going through, uh, through all of it. And, uh, so, okay, here's another weird thing. When we get down to this story of Abraham and Abimelech, I, I love Abimelech's response. Abraham complains to him about this well of water. Oh, I dug it and now you're, you got people who are saying that it's there. So they've, they've seized it. And, uh, Abimelech's response, verse 26, I don't know who's done this. You did not tell me. I heard about it only today. I mean, it's very much a, (laughs) it's not on me. You can't pin this on me. I had nothing to do with it kind of a response. Um, and yet it needs to get resolved. It needs to get worked out. Somehow they've got to decide whose well this is. And, uh, And so Abraham brings sheep and cattle and gives them to Abimelech and they make a treaty. Well, bringing the sheep and the cattle, that makes sense. If you're going to make a treaty, if you're going to make an agreement, yeah, you bring the animals uh, for that. Here's the part that doesn't make sense. This is the part that's weird, I think. Who dug the well? Abraham. So who does it rightfully belong to? Abraham. Who's the one bringing the animals to buy it back. Abraham. Does that seem weird? Doesn't it seem like Abimelech, who has wrongfully taken it, ought to pay restitution or something? That he should be the one providing the animals? But it's not. It's Abraham is bringing the animals to Abimelech as though he's buying back what's already rightfully his. Does this ring any bells for anybody? As we think New Testament terms, Who has created you? (laughs) Who rightfully owns you? And yet, who pays the price and makes the sacrifice to buy you back? Does that make any sense? Isn't that interesting? Yet, this is what we see Abraham doing almost in a um, foreshadowing of what Jesus is going to do later with us. But there's more here. Um, I going to talk about this well. And I want to talk about one more name thing. We'll be done. This well, uh, I think, shows us that the Bible is written not necessarily in strict chronological order, but there are things where you're supposed to read it and kind of read it again and again and go, oh, I see how that connects there now. This is one of those places where I think it shows up pretty clearly. Abraham is, uh at that time, Abimelech, who was the king, by the way, in the last story, in the last chapter, that Abraham had just lied to about his wife, but whatever, is um, still in that area. They're still dealing with each other. And uh, they start talking about this well of water. And once they get all that settled, they name it. So that place was called Beersheba, which is like the uh, well of the oath or well of seven or something like that. And, uh, and so that's when they, they name this Beersheba. Well, Beersheba is going to show up a lot after this. But if you were paying close attention, you notice it already showed up once before this in the story of Hagar. When Abraham sent her off, she went on her way. This is verse 14. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. Huh. Well, that's interesting. And then later, when she thinks she she and her child are just goners, it says that God uh, opened her eyes, verse 19, and she saw a well of water. Wait a second. Do you think, do you think this might be the well of water that Abraham dug as they are in Beersheba, which only got named after he dug the well? Hmm. Well, isn't that something? That as Abraham is digging this well, as he is dealing with Abimelech about the servants and what they've done with the well, as he is buying back the well, all of this is actually, unbeknownst to him, in preparation for Hagar and Ishmael who are going to need this well. it looks like God might know what he's doing. <laughs> that he's doing things through his people in advance that they don't even see it yet. And yet, God's working in all of these situations. That is why, as I say, God is with us, the good and the bad and the ugly as we go through this kind of stuff. Um, if, By the way, one little aside in case you missed it. Uh, when Abraham is the one who is buying back what is rightfully his, that ought to challenge us. That doesn't sit well with us, does it? If somebody takes something from you, you want to make sure they're the ones who pay. If someone wrongs you somehow, they're the ones who need to pay. But forgiveness actually is you paying for what someone else has done. That's what forgiveness is. And so if there is a situation uh, where you are currently in disagreement or dispute with someone, I'm not telling you what to do, but I hope you'll think about this as you uh, pray through how you ought to be responding in that situation to make it right. So we're talking about the well and then the name would be done. We talked about the name Isaac, meaning laughter. We talked about the name Ishmael, meaning God hears. There's one more name in here. Um, well, Abraham and Sarah mean stuff too. We're not going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about Abimelech. Does anybody know what Abimelech means? Oh. This is just straight Hebrew for uh, "My father is king." Okay. Neat. That's not where we're going to end. It means my father is king, but here's why I think that's really cool. is because you see this Philistine king and the way that he operates through all of this, but then you see Abraham and the way he's operating through this. And you see that the way that Abraham is operating in this particular instance is a reflection of what we see from God as he relates to his people, and most specifically, in the person of Jesus. And so when we hear this name, Abimelech, my father is king, we go, okay, Abimelech, your father's king, but Abraham's father is the king of kings. And that is so much greater. And so Abimelech's way of dealing with the problem of, hey, this is not my fault, not my problem, I didn't even know about it. Okay, maybe that's the way of the kings. But the way of the king of kings it's what we see from Abraham going above and beyond to make it right. To buy back what is rightfully his and showing us a way that doesn't make sense. And yet it's the way of Jesus. It's the way that we have been called to follow. Knowing, of course, that God is with us, and he hears us every step of the way. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and we thank you for hearing us when we pray. God, we thank you for hearing us when we are celebrating and rejoicing, and we thank you for hearing us when we are in... Uh, distress God we thank you for hearing us as we are uh, working out situations of conflict that need resolution God we thank you for hearing us for being with us God we thank you for having plans that go far beyond what we can see we ask that you would help us to trust you in your way knowing that your uh, way is best that your perspective is best I pray that you would help us help us to trust you help us to live uh, as people of faith and help us to be those who reflect what it means to have a father who is the king of kings. We pray this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors.